0: You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee Podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning. We are starting a series today called We the Church, uh, because when it comes to all things politics, we the church actually have much to say, believe it or not. Maybe I'm a glut for punishment, not really sure what, uh, but uh, it's been a great morning so far. Jabu actually wrote that prayer for our church. Wasn't that an encouraging prayer? He wrote that, like for us, it was really awesome. And his daughter, and his daughter Tandeka, his, da- his daughter Tandeka got baptized this morning. So just an awesome, as well as others, awesome. David Catherine, just an awesome, just an awesome morning. Uh, so, thanks again for being here this morning. My son, Ty, we were coming back from his football practice this past week, and uh, he's a pretty insightful guy, pretty, pretty sharp guy, and uh, he looked at me and he said, Dad, are you said you're, he overheard me having a conversation, he said, you're starting a series on politics and Christians this Sunday? And I said, yeah. He goes, why in the world would you do that? Do you want people to leave our church? And I was like, that's a good question. I said, but actually uh, the hope is the opposite, that people want to engage even more uh, because we believe that since we have the scriptures, uh, that we have the authority to speak to the things happening in our world. Also, uh, that following Jesus interferes with our lives. She's going to push even some of our most sacred political, maybe holdings that you have, your convictions, whatever it might be. That following Jesus is going to mess with all of those things, as we're going to see during this series. Uh, you see the sign up here. We'll get to it in a minute. Little elf in the room. It's like, what is he doing with that sign? Uh, we'll see that in a few minutes. So I want to acknowledge that it's there. Uh, I'm not pretending that it's not there. Uh, we'll get to that uh, in just a few minutes. Leslie Newbegin, who was a minister in England, uh, said this that. If the biblical story does not control our thinking, then we will be swept into the story that the world tells us about itself. So the scriptures are gonna frame how we think and operate or the world is going to. But what's really happened, and we're all prone to it just as people who have fallen short of the glory of God, who still have a sinful nature, even though we are a redeemed people as Christians, even though we've been forgiven and made new, there's still that tendency to allow the world to be what influences the most rather than the scriptures. And I'm not sure if anything is more of an indicator than that, than our current political climate, than what's happening in our country regarding politics, from your views and my views, to the things we argue over, to everything in between. And the reality is that as each camp, for lack of a better word, believes its viewpoint is foolproof. Maybe even worse than that, they believe it is God's view, that it's maybe God's party, God's vote, that perceptions of and and really accusations towards the other side become increasingly lacking in grace and prone to completely nuance-free caricatures. Now, that would make sense for people who don't know Jesus, But for those who are Christian, sadly, it has truly infiltrated the ranks of the church and of Christian brothers and sisters, some on maybe the right, where any pastor who speaks about social justice is immediately labeled a Marxist. And oftentimes, your your knowledge of what social justice means doesn't come from the Bible, but from a right-wing social media personality or YouTube video. Rather than the scripture, somebody a few weeks ago online on some website uh, called me a, a, a even a woke evangelical elitist. I was like elitist I did four rivers five times a week, but I live in Tallahassee, Florida, but okay uh, whatever whatever floats your boat uh, some uh, on the left maybe the slightest defense or endorsement of the president. If you believe it shows someone's you know white pr- supremacy or their privilege and You label and sinfully judge people that you don't know and may have very good reasons in their eyes for voting the way they're going to vote on election day just as you have the reasons you've drawn to of why you're going to vote the way that you're going to on election day. See, as Christians, we can't bind each other to things the scriptures aren't clear concerning. We can't bind the conscience of other Christians about matters where the Bible is not black or white. And one of the byproducts of tribalization in politics is that one's political identity slowly becomes preeminent, shaping one's religious identity rather than the other way around. Where my politics influences my theology and my Bible beliefs rather than my Bible beliefs and my theology driving my political beliefs. And here's what's really hard about this. There's not a Christian on God's green earth, myself included, who would admit that's them. There's not a Christian I've ever met before that would say, yeah, you know what, my politics influences me more than my faith. You know, my, my, my politics, I, I, you know, I, I don't, my, my Bible view is, my political lens is how I see it. No one ever thinks that way. They think their politics is not what drives their faith, but their faith drives their politics. That we lack that much self-awareness and have been so really kind of cultured into the American idea of life that we automatically think that they're one and the same, and my political views and my Christian views, are, they're, they're in sync with one another, and therefore the only logical conclusion is that my way is the right way, and that it's God's way, and that it's the Christian way, and it's the biblical way. And the reality is that script, the scripture, the Bible, will never square in total alignment with any political party, anywhere on earth. It wasn't, to begin with, written in an American political context, Thomas Jefferson's like great-great-great-grandfather wasn't even born yet when the Bible was written. America was even kind of an idea, so what makes this difficult is the Bible doesn't tell us how to carry out a constitutional republic. It doesn't tell us how democracy is supposed to work. You know what does? The Constitution. And the Constitution is a man-made document. Which means we appreciate it, we respect it, we govern our nation under it, but we don't see it as divine. You see memes all over the place, kind of these like kind of God and country battle cries of somebody who has a Bible in one hand and a constitution in the other, and it's like, what are you doing? They shouldn't even be close to the same. I mean, it's, and it's not that the constitution's bad, I thank God for the constitution, but it's, it's like Bible, constitution, compared to how. We should be thinking about things. One of the ways to, and that kind of offends you, I just encourage you to think about Well, what would that faith look like if you and your family moved to like Argentina tomorrow or to like Poland tomorrow or to Australia or just name that country. Would you all of a sudden then take their documents that make their nation and hold them in one hand and a Bible in the other? Would you all of a sudden be all about that? It just, it just doesn't make very much sense when the idea of faith is so closely tied to an idea of your politics or your country, whatever it might be. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot of things on purpose. The Bible tells us everything God wants us to know about himself and his people. There's nothing in the Bible on tax policy. There's nothing in the Bible about how we handle the second amendment and gun control, it's not in the Bible. Court packing, prison reform, school choice, healthcare policy, none of those things we find in the scriptures. So Paul told the church, don't argue, Romans 14, when they were having all these secondary, third tier, things not included in the scriptures fights. Don't argue about disputed matters, he says. Another translation calls it opinions or matters of conscience. He's not saying they don't matter. He's saying they should not come between the church. They should not be things we argue about because one of the most important things about the church is the church knowing who she is and what our job actually contains, and that is to go and make disciples and to preach God's word and to love our neighbors. It messes with everything. Now again, all those things I just listed, school choice, tax reform, tax policy, all those things are really important. We have church members who give their lives to that. Like all those things I just covered there, we have church members who work in those fields, who like write policy, who are involved in those things. I say thank God for them. They really, really matter. But the church should not be the place where those things are ultimate in fact it should be really a safe place for you to be able to come in and not have to worry about that for a moment because instead we're seeing the scriptures but the whole idea of faith and politics I mean it's it's going to mess us up somewhere down the line like you're going to stumble eventually and by some I don't mean sin you're going to go oh wait that doesn't fit here oh wait I have to think about that more I might be wrong here or it might make zero political sense but as a Christian it makes total sense why I should care about this it's completely of a different world. I was driving home with the same, same car ride. I mean, we had a deep car ride from Waverly Pond to my house uh, off Meridian Road uh, with my, my 10-year-old. And, and he um, said, hey, Dad, did you hear uh, that Nick Saban got COVID? I was like, yeah, yeah. I heard that he had it for about eight hours, of course. And um, he said, he said do, you, do you think that he's going to coach against Georgia? I said, of course he is because the SEC and they'll figure something out. You know, they'll, 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 uh, they'll, they'll finagle it. He goes, oh, he's going to be fine. And I said, oh, yeah, why, why, do you, why do you think that? He said, because he's famous and he has a lot of money. So he's going to be taken care of really well. And we have really good doctors, really good hospital, top-of-the-line treatment. I mean, it's Nick Saban in the South. He probably, in this country, gets the second greatest medical treatment to the president. right? I mean, it's probably like like that, that level. And again, I'm thankful that that kind of stuff exists. But if someone wasn't Nick Saban and didn't have that kind of money or really anywhere close to it? Maybe somebody who's in poverty, would they have the exact same access to the top of the line treatment that someone like a famous wealthy person would have? No, that's not the famous and wealthy person's fault, and the mistake we make is we go after them rather than going, wait a second. As a Christian, how do I think about these things? And my American self, like how my American wants to go, you know, you know that's, that's socialized medicine and it sounds terrible. <laughs> they my political like like that sounds bad and again I'm not even giving an opinion on that I'm just saying that these things make us go oh hold on let's just think about this first let's think about this as Christians because Christians first instinct is should not be I'm talking to myself here should not be well they should work harder and and they should try to you know, get more opportunity and they should go after it and instead of going wow there, there's some real differences in this country between rich and poor and in the middle and in between and it's not my job as a pastor to talk about how policy should work for that because I'm not an expert on those things. But it's my job as a pastor to go, wait a second here. Let's, let's talk about some of these things that happen in our country that Christians are going to make us have to go, huh, what's going on here? And it's common now to say not to give your allegiance to the left or the right. You know, it's, it's very, you'll see on social media, people put out things like, you know, we're not the people as Christians, we the church, we're not the people of the lamb or the, or, or not, or sorry, the donkey or the elephant, we're for the lamb, we're for the lion of Judah. You like, see those kind of things? And that sounds nice and like, yay, okay, but what does that mean? It comes across as saying that you want people to be moderate, Or people think it means you want them to be a centrist or something, and the reality is there's nothing moderate about Jesus. There's nothing remotely centrist or moderate about Jesus Christ. He transcends all of it. John 18, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. Like, it is not. You have no categories for me. You can't place me in any box, any red, blue, purple. You can't do that. If my kingdom were of this world, Let's just pretend that for a second, he's saying. My servants would fight so I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. It makes no political sense ever for the one they're trying to triumph as the Messiah by the world standards to be handed over to be tried and to be found guilty and to be killed. He says, but as it is, different rules, different understanding. My kingdom is not from here. However, Jesus lived here and walked on this earth and showed us what it looks like to faithfully live as people who aren't of this world, but who live here. My kingdom is not of this world. See, saying that Jesus is Lord, that statement, the gospel leads to that. We're not just saying when we say the gospel that Jesus died for our sins. Even though that is central and I believe the most important definition of the gospel is the atonement of Christ. We're also declaring the ruling, the lordship, the kingship of Jesus that he has set up his kingdom, that one day he will ultimately do it forever, that he reigns over all things. So us saying Jesus is Lord is a very profound and loud political statement. A stronger political statement than anything you can say happening in this election or in elections to come in any country on this earth, that Jesus actually is Lord. And he has set up and created a spiritual nation called the church an invisible country, an invisible nation made up of the brothers and sisters in Christ. And God's agenda is better, bigger, and more glorious than any one nation, culture, or time period to make his glory known through a people. And that mission of Jesus will outlast every White House tenure you can bank on it. Everything from Parliament to the Kremlin to anywhere in between, that it will outlast all of it. That Christians are always on the right side of history if that side places its faithfulness and its trust in the eternal God of the scriptures understood in Jesus Christ. Newbegin says this: the secular society is not a neutral area into which we can project the Christian message. It is an area already occupied by other gods. So it's not just like walking into some secular setting and going, okay, I'm just gonna make Christianity known to a people who don't believe anything. No. Every space is occupied by lowercase G gods. But how does that work? Solomon, who was the most powerful, was the most influential, was the wealthiest man of his time, he said this. He has made everything appropriate in its time, referring to God. He's also put eternity in their hearts that were longing for something. All people, you know, we can't seek God because we're blinded by our sin unless the Holy Spirit awakens us to believe, the Bible says, that all people still are, are, are out there looking for more. He says that God's put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. That it will always be a mystery to us, that God has to reveal it to us. David French says this, and keep that Ecclesiastes verse in mind, that politics can often become an idolatrous substitute religion with fundamentalist zeal. And that's what's happened in our country. Is that politics has become a substitute religion. And it's even more complicated when you think that your way of doing it is the perfect right way. So think about this. If God's put eternity in our hearts, I've got to go find it somewhere. The easy ones to talk about because it is so clear are in power, in money, in sex, in acceptance, all those, in alcohol, like all those type of things. But a big substitute for Christians today, even ones that do know Jesus, as well as those who actually still have eternity in their hearts so they don't know Jesus, has been politics because it feels righteous and it feels religious enough. Every politician, at the end of their speech, may God bless America. I mean, are they talking about the God of the Bible or like just a mascot generic American God? That's not my place to judge, but everyone does. It's like God bless America. And we stand one nation under God, get teared up, you know, God bless America, land that I love. And so it feels righteous, it it feels religious enough. So what has been the substitute today? That's what Brett McCracken calls your neighbor's new creed. Maybe you've seen this sign around. In secular urban settings especially, it's in coffee shops, it's all over the place, it's in yards in Tallahassee, and it's actually a statement of faith, a statement of secular faith. McCracken calls it a secular religious revival that is taking place, a new identity, a new religion that begins with the statement, we believe. That's what Christians say. When Christians read the creed together, they say we believe in God the Father. We declare a statement of belief. So here you actually have a new religion but this new creed without them actually realizing it and by them i mean just kind of secular america is ecclesiastes chapter three it's finding something else to make your religion but the answer is we actually as the church like we the church not we the people we the church actually have the answers to all of these things we're the one who has the foundations for much of these beliefs And these statements, little do they know, and actually can lead to some great conversation, either reflect the scriptures or distort them. But the Christian worldview, without people realizing, is actually all over this sign. It's just been defined differently. I mean, the first one, we're just going to go through it, that black lives matter. Now, an American conservative, oftentimes, first reaction is to ultimately move your mind towards the organization. Black Lives Matter, which is very secular, I would argue very godless, in much of the things it stands for, and really shouldn't be something that someone who follows Jesus should be associated with. The statement, Black Lives Matter, should be the air that Christians breathe in terms of us being unafraid to say it out loud. Not because culture tells us to, not because some bad things happen, But because God says in Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. So when I say black lives matter, it's not dependent on what's happening in culture at the time. It's really depending upon the fact that I believe that every single person was made in the image of God. So you might go, well, then don't all lives matter? Yes, of course they do. But I've never had to ask the question as a white male in America if my life matters. I've never had to ask that question. I've never had to tell my son not to wear a hood when he walks around the neighborhood. Does that mean all people are racist? Absolutely not. It is anti-Christian to claim that all people are racist. We believe that God changes hearts. We believe that God makes people new. Racism, Racism is not the original sin. It's a result of original sin. It's not that white people who have a European descent have a more racist gene that they were born with than other people. That's not it at all. Racism happens in so many countries, all around the world. It's not just a black and white matter, but in America that has been the history. People who basically have experienced the equivalence of domestic terrorism, not the equivalence they have, experienced domestic terrorism in America. From churches being bombed, to lynchings, to being told they can't go to certain schools, to being banned from education, no legacy of wealth due to slavery. I mean, on and on and on. So as a Christian, rather than going, yeah, but, again, messes with all my politics. Rather, instead, I should be saying, yes, your life matters to God, so your life matters to me. And we're the ones that have the foundation for that. Because we're not reacting to an issue. We're declaring something that's been true from the beginning. And that is that all people are made in the image of God, but sometimes we've treated people as if that's not true. I made a video right after the George Floyd tragedy for our church, I just wanted to speak to it, waited about a week, because the Bible says be slow to speak. So I wanted to gather my thoughts first to make sure I just wasn't going with the waves or anything like that. Said several things in it, one of the statements I made was I believe that black lives matter. And in talking with black church members afterwards, black pastors in town that saw it, They said out of the eight minutes I spoke, or however long it was, that was the most important thing they thought I said. They wanted to hear from a white, evangelical, theologically conservative pastor in Tallahassee that I believe that black lives matter. And as my grandpa used to say, I said back to him, you bet your sweet potatoes I do. You better believe I do, because you are made in the image of God. Now, Secular thought just wants to put people in in categories, oppressor and oppressing, like you're the oppressor, the oppressor. I I think we must reject those things, that instead saying sin is real, and if sin is real, of course sinful people who made laws and created systems are still sinful. So are there laws and things in place that are probably doing the opposite of this? Why why wouldn't there be? Sinful people make laws. Like, why would we think that sin infiltrates the same people who made Roe v. Wade, are the same people who put things in place, not exact they were not living them, but things in place that didn't let people vote and called three-fifths of a person. And Let me tell you what, your pastor's not afraid to say black lives matter, because I believe they do, and that every single person is made in the image of God. Second thing, love is love. Nobody believes that. You don't believe that love is love? Get out of here. Tell your wife I met a girl at the gym. Hey, love is love. See what happens. Okay, she's gonna kick you in the love if you know what I mean. Okay, you just you just I shouldn't have said that. Sorry. R- r- rewind that tape. Uh, so, but I mean seriously, 17 year old girl all of a sudden starts dating her science teacher. Okay, good, love is love. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. A sitting president of the United States during his term put on his social media, retweet if you believe every person should be able to marry the person they love. Come on. You don't believe that. Yeah, at all. Because, you know, our, our culture defines love by one thing. Feelings. Feelings. And love is love actually is a setup for divorce. Because what happens when you don't love anymore? What happens You go and you find someone else to love. Well, God is love. He has defined love. He has invented love. And if we trust God to be love, why can't we also trust him to be the one who designed marriage to be between a man and a woman? If we can trust God to pray to at night, if we really do believe that Jesus rose from the grave, then why can't we also trust God that he is the one who made marriage and he knows what's best about it? The fact is that sex is not for ready people, or mature people, or in love people, or experienced people, or dating people. It's for married people. And God has made marriage between a man and a woman. And for the Christian, that on its surface should not be complicated or controversial. Now the implications of how that plays out, and what that looks like for a secular society, that's a totally different conversation. But on the surface of what it means, for love to be loved, no one actually believes that. So here they are, really defining love improperly in their new religion in a way that God would not recognize. Feminism is for everyone. I would say that the secular idea is lying through their teeth. Because you know what's happening right now? They're denying the uniqueness of a woman. Guess where you go to see the value and dignity and worth of a woman. The scriptures, the scriptures. One of the things the church was mocked for early on in the first and second century by secular scholars at the time and historians and just critics was how pro-female it was. Women were viewed as objects, as possessions, and here comes the New Testament. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. How much did Christ love the church? He died for the church. He shed his blood and gave his life for the church. Sociologist Rodney Stark estimates that perhaps two-thirds of the Christian community during the second century was made up of women. Made up of women. So folks who think that Christianity in its early days was hostile towards women. They didn't get the memo. Because, in the fact, their flourishing was encouraged. And therefore, we should feel the same way. And we can go further with it. We believe that feminism is for everyone, not how the world defines it, but we believe that feminism and the fact that it's unique, if it wants to be about the flourishing of women and the uniqueness of women, rock on. We should all be for that. But how does a secular worldview who says, well, you're only a woman if you see yourself as a woman, how does that, how does that do with that? How does that work? People trying to contend that men identifying as women should be able to play college women's athletics. Can you think of anything less feminist than that? That's the end of women's athletics. It's tragic, one of the greatest things for women flourishing and scholarships is, is women athletics. It's a wonderful thing for our country and for our world. My wife, our family, we support it 100% because we believe in it. But you're gonna tell me feminism is for everyone when you don't believe in the uniqueness of a male and a female? How pro-women is the Bible? God made you uniquely as a woman. And made man uniquely. So little do the feminist kind of ideology, secular worldview realize the things they're advocating for aren't pro-women at all. It's a voting block. Rather than the scriptures that say you were made in the image of God. God has uniquely made you female. He made a male and was like, I mean, my creation's good, but this guy needs some help. And what does he say? He made a woman. Not just he made a person, not just he made people and went on, he made a man or woman. Jesus himself believed that was a historical event. And he said, when asked about marriage and divorce in Matthew 19, he goes, don't you know that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? You are uniquely made as a woman. God has made you that way. And nothing will allow more flourishing of women than when we contend for that and hold to that and say gender is not by mindset, gender is by design, by the great creator. No human being is illegal. Amen. Amen. Now, there are laws. You can do illegal things. You're not a nation if you don't have borders and laws. And the scriptures... God made borders, nations, boundaries. So there are laws, there are rules. That's one of the things that actually makes you a country. But people who might break them are not subhuman. And when you see people use the rhetoric that they use about people who have immigrated into this country legally and illegally, for the Christian it should crush your heart because they're talking about someone who's been made in the image of God. And here's what we forget. They're talking about your family too because you didn't get here on your own. Your great-grandfather, great-great-great somebody, they came to this country from somewhere else most likely. You know why? They were looking for a better life for their family. Now others were brought here against their will. But oftentimes the people who are the loudest against immigration are people who are three generations removed from immigrating themselves. Well, they did it legally, okay. <laughs> okay, does that make them more of a person than those who did not? And again, we're thinking Christian here, not American. We think Christian before we think anything else. I'm not a pro at it. I'm, I, it's a lifelong journey for me. But it, it's sad when you hear some of the rhetoric out there or when you see that people were, that uh, the children and families were dispersed from each other once being arrested for coming across the border illegally, and the first thing I'll hear out of a Christian's mouth sometimes is like, well, that's what happens when you break the law, when someone goes to jail in general, they go here and their kids aren't there and they go into, it's like, okay, that's true. But don't you see as Christians that our first instinct should be compassion towards that? And prayer towards that? And human dignity towards that? Guys, our belief in Jesus changes everything. Here's what the Bible says. Here's, here's God's heart for the immigrant. For the Lord is your God. Is, for the Lord, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, like he's the king, the great, the mighty, the awe-inspiring God. No human can claim those words. He shows no partiality in taking no bribe. You can't buy him off. He's not looking at polling. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the resident alien giving him food and clothing, you know what you're supposed to do too? You're also to love the resident alien because you are resident aliens in the land of Egypt. You know who's doing more work right now for immigrants and refugees in this country than anyone else, Christians? Media doesn't cover that. That's not a boast. The Bible tells us when we pray to go pray in private so nobody sees it. When we fast, don't tell anybody. You know, not not to boast, but the Christian organizations, they're doing so much right now for legal and illegal immigrants at the border, refugees, all those things. It's incredible, why? Because we believe the gospel demands a response. So illegal immigration, I should say, is a real thing, but no human being is an illegal person. So our first step should be compassion rather than conservatism or liberalism or somewhere in between. Science is real, well okay. The Bible is not designed to speak to every scientific matter, It's to tell us about God and who he is and what he's done for his people. And really, this whole sign right here, you might not realize it, but it's an attack against Christianity. That's not me being an alarmist. I I don't operate that way. That's what this is. This is a secular, this is kind of an in-your-face kind of evangelical Christianity, which is really popular to beat up on nowadays on social media. Uh, Again, they don't realize that we actually have the answers to these things. Science is real. Keep in mind there's a difference between science and scientism. Scientism has a bias and has become a religion. It's like, okay, science is real, but you don't think that, but you think a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man? Explain that to me, science is real. Science is real, but you don't believe a baby in a womb is a baby? Explain that to me, please. Science is real. No one's science is as consistent as they claim their science sciences. The Bible's not anti-science. It's not a science textbook. It's not supposed to be. There's some neat things in the Bible about science. Concerning science, I should say, not about science, concerning science. You know the scriptures it refers to the earth as a sphere? Who'd have known that in BC? Even after that. You know in Leviticus, God tells people to wash their hands in running water. Running water. You might be like, duh. Not back then. You might go stick them in the river or stick them in the sea, or have some kind of bowl with water in it, and you stick them in there, and then someone would go serve food. They would go, I always thought taking a bath was kind of weird, like you're bathing in your own filth, it's like, okay. You know, But that's kind of what they were doing with their hands. So you light those candles and those essential oils and rock on, okay, but it's always kind of weird. So I do take baths sometimes, like, visual, sorry, moving on. Okay, so, (laughs) it's not funny. Okay, so they just stick their hands in water, and then they would go, sometimes they perform their version of what the earliest medical practices of surgery would be, And guess what happened? People have infections and they would die. And that went on for a really long time. And God's like, hey, my people, who I'm looking out for? Wash them in running water. Oh, cool. Gotta go find some, but cool. And guess what a surgeon does to this day before they have surgery on you, before they put their gloves on? They go wash their hands in running water. Research didn't first figure that out. God figured that out. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, Secular World, Right? The next one, which kind of reviews my statement I just said, be kind to all. Here's what i got to realize. Person that is struggling with same-sex lifestyle, person that uh, has gender confusion, we have to be able to speak truth and still be kind to people but what's really difficult is this here, this belief statement, this secular creed, any conversation that isn't this to it is viewed as being unkind. So rather than complain about it, talk about how it's not fair and it's inconsistent, I think it's important to point out inconsistencies and hypocrisy. If we're gonna be people of truth, also we need to make sure we're kind. This election season, Brett McCracken wrote this, invites me and you to not only weigh arguments and candidates but to also ultimately assess the state of our faith. Is our certainty found in our savior or are we more certain of our politics? Are we more loyal to Jesus and animated by his mission than we are loyal to a candidate and animated by, his, by their campaign? For the sake of our witness during and after this election season, let's not be remembered as grandstanding mouthpieces for political ideology. Do you find it problematic that when many people hear the word Christian, they all of a sudden think Trump supporter? It's fine if you support Trump. It's not my job to give my candidate views up here. I'm just, nothing, if you vote for who you wanna vote for. But when people think Christian, they think Trump supporter. Is some of that media created? Of course it is. But some of it's your social media created. Like is that, is that how you wanna be first known? By the candidate you support? You know, like 80% of black evangelicals are voting for Biden. 80%. Does that mean you have to as a black evangelical? Of course not. But before you go crazy and tell people that they are don't understand what what it means to be an evangelical, why don't you ask somebody why? And hear their reasons. People that are voting for Trump, that you that are Christians, that you think are this and that and terrible, they sat and heard Vice President Biden the other day say it's great for an eight-year-old to transition to a different gender. You think they're crazy for going, I got a problem with that. Or that he's for de- abortion, even on like to, to, up to birth, even after birth, we're seeing this happen. Can we see there's some grace for people? This is not These are not easy decisions. Like, ask, your, ask some of your minority friends, hey, t- tell me about this. And they've heard the language, they've heard, slow to criticize. When Charlottesville happened, you know, the, the white supremacists, they've heard him call their homelands s-hole countries. And I mean, like, it just, it's complicated, guys. And it's supposed to be because this is not in the Bible. This is a man-made system. We're not, when we say we don't put our trust in politicians, that's not a Christian cliche. We mean that. It's complicated. So Christians should not break fellowship and leave churches and not speak to each other over these matters. Here's what Paul wrote For my brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people. I couldn't talk to you like you were a Christian. And if I could barely, it was as babies in Christ, people of the flesh. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, like you couldn't handle good discipleship, since you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready because you're still worldly. For since there's envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and believing like, behaving like mere humans? In other words, unbelievers, non-regenerate people? And here's the point. Whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not acting like unbelievers? Because that, that's a problem. He didn't say don't listen to them. He didn't say don't participate in it. He said don't identify with it. Because that's what immature people do. That's what non-believers do. They identify themselves by man-made human elements. We identify people as I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. So this is not our religion. But oh, does our religion speak to this? Some things it holds up and says, you're exactly right, let me tell you what it really means. And other things we just gotta tweak it and put it back because it distorts what the Bible actually says. So I didn't bring us up here today to go, ooh, he's, no, 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 I'm saying this is what people believe. This is the belief statement. This is the creed. But we're the ones that actually have the real answers to those things. So why we look to the world for that? My son asked me, why are you going to talk about politics? This is a four-week series. I didn't cover everything today. I'm not supposed to cover it all in one sermon. You'd be here until, like, dinner. Okay, so we're going to build and talk about things for four weeks. This is not a one-time catch-all-everything talk, so keep that in mind, Please. My son said, why are you going to talk about politics? Why are you going to do that? And I said, the answer is because we, the church, are the ones that actually have the answers. And it's the one who is not from this world, and kingdom is not here. Now we figure out how to live that in this world where he has us to be faithful stewards. Let's stand and pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenges in it about what we should be disputing, about where we should be associating, about following the one whose kingdom is not of this world, but we know your kingdom is ruling and reigning and one day will ultimately come when you return for the new heavens and the new earth and Jesus is king of all. We know you're on the throne reigning and ruling right now. We take hope in that. We also know that you're not freaking out about our American political system because you are the one who never slumbers or sleeps, that you're the God of every nation, of every galaxy. We take great hope in that. We are insignificant in your grand plan, yet you call us significant because you made us. You knit us together in your mother's womb. Jesus came to die for us, a death that we deserve for our sin and rebellion against you. But in your grace and your mercy, you punished Jesus in our place. Our punishment that we deserved was on him. He rose from the grave three days later, ascended into heaven, and one day will come again. We believe that he is the way, the truth, the life. That no one comes to the Father except through him. I ask all of us in this room, myself included, we'll examine our hearts to see where we think worldly or man-made system or even American before we think like anything else. Lord, let us first think as Christians before we think by our race, our gender, even though those things matter. Let us first think as your people, where there is no Jew, no Greek, Where all are in Christ are one. We are your people, a spiritual nation you have made. We thank you for all that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing some good news before we head out.